The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. It is another good day in the jobless world. 218,000 uh, jobless claims reported last month. Remember, we had the big job uh, last week. We had the big jump the week before up to 224, and now we've uh, gone backwards a little bit on that. I'm waiting to see the uh, latest uh, revisions to see uh, what last week it was 227. So last week was revised up, and this week we come way down to 218. On a continuing basis, 1,871,000. That is down from 1,894,000. So it does look like workers are still on the job. Companies are still holding on to their employees. Yields a little bit higher off the back of this, Mike. So we're up three or four basis points on a 10-year to 4.14. On a 30-year, up three basis points, at least at a 4.35. You put this together with jobless claims and together with payrolls, together with ISM services, manufacturing improving. It's pretty decent data over the last couple of weeks. If you're looking for cracks, you're not finding it. When people say, well, just fast forward, look at the real-time data. Well, here we have the real-time data, and it's confirming the strength that we saw last Friday. The 10-year yield, I'm noting, really taking a leg higher, 4.015% rounded up. To me, that's what I'm watching. Longer term, what does that suggest about the neutral rate and about long-term momentum underneath some of the recovery we've seen? Don't ask me, because we can have that conversation right now. Town reaction with the Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin alongside Bloomberg's Mike McKee. President Barkin, good morning to you, sir. Thanks for having me here, hey, and I'm, I am happy the data didn't surprise. Well, let's talk about this data. Let's talk about how much weight you're putting on it. It's really strong coming out of the gate for 2024. How much weight are you putting on this stuff at the moment? Well, I think the data has been uh, remarkable, and it's been remarkable uh, across the board. Yeah, the, the fourth quarter GDP, 3.3%, uh, the jobs numbers uh, last month. And I think all of them do talk about an economy that's fundamentally healthy. That's a great uh, thing. Uh, I am always cautious about numbers around the turn of the year. I mean, there are big seasonal adjustments. A great example would be uh, the, the jobs numbers last month. Um, the actual jobs were actually down 2.5 million because a lot of the retail uh, folks who were hired for Christmas, you know, then got laid off after. But the seasonal adjustments bring it up to a positive 353. So that's a pretty big seasonal adjustment. I, I, I look hard at it. I'm glad to see it coming in. That's the best data we have. But I'm not sure I'm going to take too much out of any one month. Markets are obviously interested in if and when the Fed is going to cut emphasis on the when. Uh, and I know you've said we don't have to be in any rush. But with the data like this, basically, uh, are you telling people, uh, you know, we're doing fine with rates where they are? Well, I have said you don't have to be in any particular hurry. You've got a dual mandate with employment and uh, inflation. And the employment side of the mandate, I mean, it's actually operating at historic levels, 3.7% unemployment, job gains we talked about, initial claims, uh, job openings. It's a very strong labor market still. And so um, gratified to see inflation coming down, hoping it continues to come down. I think we've got some time to be patient. I know you said you don't have a roadmap 
for rate cuts. Yesterday, uh, Carlyle Group Chief Executive Harvey Schwartz said investors should not be thinking the Fed would cut rates five times this year because that would imply something's wrong with the economy. I assume you would agree with him. Well, it's hard for me to get into the market forecast because there's always two elements going on in those forecasts. One is uh, rate normalization under a healthy economy and inflation coming down. But the other, of course, is uh, the economy takes a wrong turn and you'd, you'd come down faster. And so those things are a weighted average. To me, there is certainly a model that you take rates down quickly. That's not a model that's good for the economy. That's just you know, one of the things that could happen. And then there's the model where you, know, you toggle rates down as you know, the economy comes back into balance. Underpinning this is really the mystery of the neutral rate. It's sort of this vague, mysterious concept that people throw around. Matt Lazzetti over at Deutsche Bank changed his view recently, saying that he thinks the neutral rate, instead of being about 3% in the post-pandemic reality, might be around 3.5% or even 4%. Does that jibe with your thinking? Uh, it's certainly conceivable to me that it's uh, come up from the estimates that we saw um, before COVID. Um, the challenge with all these neutral rate estimates is the standard deviations, 200 basis points. And so uh, the center of the SCP, I think, in the last meeting was about two and a half. So it could be a half, it could be four and a half. And so I think you have to sort of uh, make your decisions not based on trying to hit a theoretical neutral, but based on what you see in the economy and what you learn about how the economy reacts to rates. And I, that's what I'm trying to do. I guess as I'm watching some of the data come in and I hear from all of these investors, they're concerned about reaccelerating inflation later in the year as some of these comps change. Are you also starting to worry about that a little bit more? Well, we've already had a lot to worry about in today's conversation, so I, I won't focus on all of the worries I have. We've got I saw, more. We I saw the shipping out. conversation yeah. earlier today. Lisa specialized in worry talk. Yeah, no, there's, <laughs> a, there, there's a lot to worry about. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you have to acknowledge how good the inflation data has been for the last seven months. I mean, last seven months, core inflation, 1.9%. That's right on target. That's terrific, right? And I'm not rooting against inflation, but I'm always, you know, trust but verify, you know, let's make sure that's really right. And so we'll get a few more months. It would be... Uh, I would very much like to see that trend continue and, you know, broaden because it's been disproportionately goods deflation that's been masking higher than normal prices in rents and shelter. So I'd love to see it broaden, um, and maybe it will. I, I, you know, the trend is good, and you can't argue with that, uh, that trend. Let's just see how we go. How do you parse inflation these days, though? Because, uh, yes, the PCE is down below 3%, but when you look at uh, things like the Cleveland and Dallas trimmed means, the Atlanta Fed uh, sticky wage index, uh, it all shows basically more inflation than your targeted index. Well, these numbers will uh, converge over time, right? And so what's happening right now in inflation, as I said, is you've got a lot of clawback of goods price increases that happened during COVID. And so goods deflation, which has always been a factor, is even more significant than it has been you know, over the last 20 years. Uh, rents and services are higher. These trim mean measures look at the center of the distribution. And so they're looking at that center part, which is higher, as opposed to the weighted average, uh, which is lower. If it broadens, everything will come down. If it doesn't, it won't, and we'll just see what happens. Well, how do you make a judgment then on when you think it'll be appropriate to cut? What are you looking for? Um, the phrase I think the chairman and others have used is measurable progress toward the 2% target. How, how would you define that? Uh, if I could get these kind of numbers sustained and even better broadened, that's, that's what I'm looking for, sustained and broadening. There was a worry in the news conference, and you could sense that with Chairman Powell, that he wasn't comfortable yet. 
And I wonder if you're not comfortable either, just with this idea that maybe the improvement we've seen over the last six months is down to so-called one-off factors. Do you share that concern as well? Well, uh, another way to put it is that um, core inflation, I mean, headline inflation for last year uh, was whatever, 2.6%. Um, there was a 3.3% six-month period and a 1.9% six-month period. So which do you believe, the 3.3 or the 1.9? So we're rounding now over those 3.3 months. January last year was a very inflationary month. So everything is leaning in terms of the numbers should be coming down, and I expect them to come down over the next few months. But let's see if they do. It speaks to this risk that maybe we stabilize above target on inflation. And Mike, as you know, the worry is that we do stabilize above target, and if you've started to cut interest rates, you have to start hiking again. Is that a concern that you have, that if you do start to move, you're stuck in that cycle then, and you have to continue, and you can't start hiking again? Well, you're always trying to be cautious, because you don't really want to reverse course. Uh, uh, an interesting period to look at is 86. In 1986, after at the end of the Volcker era, um, inflation was actually under 2%. And the Fed, which had tightened significantly, started loosening significantly. In 87, inflation basically doubled from where it was in 86, and the Fed started increasing again. So that stuff has happened in history, and you're certainly aware of that. And to the extent you could avoid it, you'd love to avoid Does it. Does that weigh on you as an official, just the experience of, of Volcker and Co.? Well, a lot of people write about the history of Fed tightening cycles don't, don't end well. And so, um, you know, it'd be awesome for it to end well. But as you go study the past, it's not like you study the past and see lots of great examples um, that you're just dying to duplicate. Let me take the uh, other side of the argument, and that is that inflation is going to keep coming down, but you're not going to move fast enough, and the economy is going to slow more than it needed to or even go into recession because the Fed waited too long. That's the risk you're trying to balance. And, and like I said, I, I take a lot of signal about just how historically strong the labor market continues to be, including the claims numbers uh, we saw this morning. And so you are trying to balance the risk to the employment side of the mandate versus the risk to the inflation side of the mandate. Inflation still elevated. The unemployment side still very strong. I think that's how I net out right now. We were in Jackson Hole a number of months ago. We were talking to some of your colleagues about some of the anecdotes they were hearing in their district. Remember that conversation, Lisa? Yeah. And the guidance that we were getting from some Fed officials is that what they were hearing in their district was different to what they were seeing in the data. Mm -hmm. Do the anecdotes conflict with the economic data? Um, well, I'll give you some anecdotes. I, mean, I was in Western Carolina earlier this week, just some things that might be uh, interesting. Um, uh, one is that I saw Great Clips had a sale on haircuts for $9.99. And so that's interesting that even some services are coming down in price. That would be consistent with the data. Uh, there's a big paper mill uh, that laid off 1,100 people in a county of 17,000. And a year later, unemployment in that county is down not up because there were so many openings for people in manufacturing positions that all of the people who were surplus, who didn't retire, you know, had jobs. So that's confirmatory of a strong uh, labor market. I think the third quarter 5% GDP stuff, that wasn't what I was hearing either, and I said the same thing. But today what I'm hearing is um, people aren't hiring as much, but they're not firing as much either. Um, price setters understand they're on the back end of the price curve. It's not over yet, but they're on the back end uh, of it. And demand, is, especially on the consumer side, is still healthy. Do you trust the data? And I say this because some of the headline data, people have been saying people aren't responding to the surveys to the same degree yeah. post-pandemic as they were pre-pandemic. Does that factor in? Uh, well, you have to always take data with a grain of salt. You also have to accept it's all you've got. Right, and you have to be wary of uh, confirmation bias. You know, I like the data when it agrees with what I think, and I don't like the data when it doesn't. So when the data comes in, I take it for what it is, and I try to dig into it and understand. You know, does it 
what's behind the numbers, like the seasonal adjustments I was talking earlier. But, but I accept it and then try to test it, as opposed to rejecting anything that doesn't agree with my prior hypothesis. I think that uh, great clips offer was for mullets for the Super Bowl or so. Did you see anybody walking you're, around with you're, mullets? You're nice to say it wasn't just because of my hairline that I got a cheap <laughs> offer. Uh, no, uh, the, uh, the hiring that we have seen in recent months, is that do you expect that? First of all, was it a surprise to see the December, January numbers? And uh, do you expect that to continue or are we going to fall off dramatically? And uh, will we see unemployment start to go up to the 4.1% the SCP calls for? Uh, I was surprised at how strong the numbers were in, uh, in December and in, in January, December revised and in January. Um, what I'm hearing is not as much hiring, but definitely not as much firing. That's, that's how I put it together. Labor hoarding? Uh, I, that's, the, that's sort of the technical phrase, but I, especially with frontline people, if you have really fought hard over the COVID era to bring people into your factory or into your restaurant, you're just loathe to take the risk of letting them go and try to go into that fight again. And so on the frontline side, people are being careful. To the extent that I'm hearing anything on job cuts, it's actually the professional side. It's, uh, it's overhead. In your business, maybe your pricing power isn't going to be what you thought it was going to be. You're worried about the risk on the, um, on the operation side to laying off operating people. Well, let's take a look at our overhead and thin it. That's where you see it. And some of the jobs announcements you've seen recently, I think, disproportionately look like overhead as opposed to frontline. Interesting. Seeing a lot of that this morning as well. We talked about those companies too. There was a moment in the news conference last week where Chairman Powell was asked about the month of March, and it felt like that kind of off the cuff, he just got freezing cold water and poured it all over March. We're trying to work out whether that was Chairman Powell's view or if that's the general view of the committee that you share as well, that perhaps March is just too soon. Well, I don't ever prejudge a meeting, and I don't prejudge the March meeting. We'll see where we uh, get. But I always think Chairman Powell speaks for the committee. He was talking about the balance sheet, too. And that sounded much more interesting. If they're not going to cut interest rates, maybe they make a decision about QT collectively, the committee, you. Can we talk about that, the decision that you've got to make? Is it independent of the interest rate decision for you, what happens with the balance sheet from here? Can you do one and continue with the other? Uh, independent of the... Um, uh, the interest rate decision because you're talking about normalizing um, and when is the right time to start uh, normalizing rates and you're talking about normalizing the balance sheet so we're still in the process of doing that. Um, uh, as Chairman Powell said, we'll, we'll have a conversation uh, about it and I think it's great that we do that because you want to plan uh, what you do. I still haven't seen any signals that you know, we're closing in on a level of ample, you know, uh, mar you know, at the end of the ample reserves uh, regime, uh, just a number that keeps hitting me. If you add up the overnight RRP plus the reserves today, we're still over $4 trillion. And if you look at September 2019, we were in the $1.2, 1300000000000 in reserves without an overnight RRP and without a standing repo facility. So I, I think we're a pretty long way from where we were then. And, you know, Times change. We'll see where we are. We've got to learn more. But I still think we're a long way from where we were. You know where I'm going because you do hear people say that if you start cutting interest rates but you're still doing QT, they're sort of running in opposition to each other. Do you not see it that way? Don't. Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin with us around the table this morning together with Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Tom, it's fantastic to continue this conversation. The worries of the banking sector of last year, different this year. Last year was about working through interest rate shocks. Now it's about potentially credit stress. Is this coming up on the committee? When you saw that in NYCB last week, the day of the decision, is this something you all talked about together collectively? Well, uh, commercial real estate, as the secretary said, is a, a known issue, uh, and it's an important issue. I was in D.C. yesterday. 
yesterday uh, doing a, a roundtable with some real estate executives. That's a market that struggled to come back. And, and you can feel the stress uh, in the commercial real estate area, particularly, of course, uh, downtown office. So that, that's a real thing. And the banks, uh, many banks and non-banks have exposure to that. That's an important thing to take into account in terms of stability. But as I say, it's not a new kind of risk. I mean, we have had real estate shocks before. We've gone through real estate cycles. It wouldn't stun me if you know, a bank or two ended up wrong-footed in those things. But the system knows that real estate is an you know, asset with a certain amount of risk. And I'm hope, I hope and expect that you know, we've got enough capital to uh, weather that. A lot of people have speculated that the Fed would cut rates in response to another bank failure. Do you think that that's an accurate assessment, or do you think that that is not the correct channel of response? Because that's basically what's based into the market, a lot of people are saying. Mandates employment and inflation. You've got to take into account what you think is going to happen to employment and inflation. If the economy is to turn south, I mean, that's a, a case for trying to normalize rates faster. But the economy would have to turn south, as opposed to this being some sort of a bank oversight uh, response. Well, the chairman said that uh, this is a manageable problem, uh, commercial real estate. But uh, I want to ask if you think that in the context of Fed officials, including the then chairman, telling us in 2007 that real estate was not going to collapse. Sorry, and your question is? <laughs> uh, do you have a good handle on this? Uh, can you be sure that this is something that's manageable? Well, in the banks that we supervise, I mean, we're spending a lot of time uh, with them and productively going through real estate assets and trying to understand what the risks are and what the reserves are against those risks and, and making sure we've got those things appropriately handled. So in the scope that we've got, um, we're working hard on that. I, I think you never know what you don't know. And so, uh, you know, what might happen in the non-bank sector, don't know. You know, what could happen, you know, with these real estate assets, we'll see. But I think we've got our head down with the banks that we oversee trying to work through it. Well, does this weigh on your thinking at all about when you might want to cut interest rates? The story that the real estate people tell is that this problem is only going to get worse over time as companies get closer to their refinancing. I think it's important to take commercial real estate apart. I mean, there are huge parts of commercial real estate that are quite healthy. Data centers would be a good example. Retail is healthy. Um, at least the holding part of multifamily, you know, the building has its issues. We're really talking about office and a narrower you know, B and C downtown office space. That's where the biggest risk is. And I'm sure there will be losses. and already have been and will be losses in that space. Um, but as I said, it's a known variable. If you go back to our stress test assumptions, you'll see pretty significant uh, you know, stress on commercial real estate valuations. And you saw the outcomes for the bank. So there are a lot of known variables out there, which is the reason why we're so worried. And you said there's a lot of worry around this table. We were worrying earlier with a bunch of credit people who are no longer worried because somehow some of these maturities are not an issue. How do you understand the fact that people were talking about zombie companies, they were talking about zombie real estate, they were talking about how the world was going to be turned on its head when the Fed raised rates by five, five and a half percentage points. How do you make sense of the fact that that just hasn't happened? Um, is it possible that some of them were wrong? I'm just not sure. I, I, but if, if it's not that, if it's not, so, so uh, here are the numbers that have really spoken to me, which is um, if you look at the total interest burden of, uh, for individuals and the total interest burden for companies, and you divide that total interest burden today by uh, total revenue for companies or total personal disposable income for individuals, the numbers have finally now, in the aggregate, just gotten back to 2019 levels. And so what does that mean? There are a lot of people, individuals, who uh, refinance their mortgages or pay down their credit cards. There are a lot of companies that refinance their debt when rates were very low. And so there are absolutely companies that are wrong-sided, wrong-footed in this. 
but in aggregate, this total interest burden hasn't yet hit the company, the country in that scope, I think, that a lot of people have predicted. It could. I mean, that's a good reason to be cautious on the economy. On the other hand, the continued month-over-month -month health of demand, you know, look at GDP for the last half of last year, sort of argues against it. But that's, that's what you watch. We've got about two minutes left, which means we should probably talk about something you definitely don't want to talk about, which is politics okay. down in Washington. When senators and officials in Washington start to write letters to the chairman to ease policy, how does the committee respond to that? It's a big election year. You talk about live meetings. We're wondering how live some of the meetings are going into that election. How do you avoid getting into politics? Uh, listen, I think the chairman was brilliant on 60 Minutes, and if you watched it, he sort of closed with a very clear answer to that, which is we just try to do the right thing, and I think his phrase was integrity is priceless, and I thought that was very well put. The chairman on 60 Minutes also yeah. talked about the urgency of the fiscal health of the country, CBO, yesterday. Debt will hit a record high. So much of that is for net interest payments. Is that a reason to potentially cut rates? Um, I, I assume you'll have other people on and ask the question of whether it's to cut debt. I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's two ways you go. I think we're trying to focus on inflation and on unemployment. And uh, I think uh, having rates uh, be in restrictive levels is good for the long term. And if we can get inflation down to where we want to, and if employment can stay in the right place, rates can normalize, and that'll reduce that burden. But our objective function is not around the country's debt burden. Our objective function is around what Congress has asked us to do, which is inflation and unemployment. Tom, it's good to see you. Thanks for Thank catching you for up. Having me back. Appreciate your time, as always. Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin there, alongside Bloomberg's Michael McKee. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.